Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then, fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, we're talking about angry animals, the grumpiest, orneriest, most cantankerous critters in the animal kingdom. From the frustrations of puzzled crows to the tantrums of tiny tots and the dastardly acts of vengeful varmints. Joining me today to discuss these cranky critters is the most ill-tempered podcaster around, Alex Schmidt. Welcome. Sure. Ah, yeah. I'm, I'm stomping around the room. <laughs> I'm wearing. I'm wearing the the what is it NWO T-shirt that they did when they did a heel turn in the wrestling event. Yeah. Anyway, forget it. It's great to be here. Look, uh, how, <laughs> look how angry he is. Steam's coming out of his ears. Uh, <laughs> I thought it would be appropriate to have you on the show, not only because of your ill-tempered disposition, um, but Thank also you. because I am now the co-host on Secretly Incredibly Ooh. Fascinating. I want, I'm trying to modulate how loudly I'm like, woo, with the microphone, but I'm very <laughs> excited about it. And I, I, uh, I'm i sure folks who listen to Secretly Incredibly Fascinating know Katie from being amazing on like a dozen episodes of it. And, I'm, and I, of course, know this audience is huge Katie fans. So everyone knows why this is awesome. She's on, the, on my show Secretly Incredibly Fascinating every week now because we're doing a whole thing where we're on the Maximum Fun Network now and can do it. And, and I'm just very, very excited about it. I'm super excited, too. And as you can tell, it is it is tough work, though, dealing with Alex's moods and rage, True. you know. <laughs> who who knows what wrestling t-shirt I'm going to claim I'm wearing, right? It could come for, it could be anything. It, it could yeah, be that the, bull logo the rock has, you know? Mm, I barely even know what that is, but all, here it comes. All the stomping and uh chair throwing like with the folding chairs, it's it's not great for <laughs> podcasting, I got to say. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I, I love the idea of an angry podcaster because if folks noticed 30 seconds ago, I was concerned about saying woo too loud because I don't <laughs> want to blow out the system. So, yeah, I, I don't know how people do shock jack stuff with microphones. It must be a skill that you learn over over time and breaking stuff. 
Who's that? There's that comedian who's famous for being angry all the time. He voiced anger in the um, Inside Out oh, movie. Louis Black. Louis Black. Yeah. yeah. Does he it's have great. a podcast? I I hope he does. I want I want to have that experience. <laughs> he can pioneer it like a like an astronaut or a experimental scientist for us. Right. They'll have to develop better audio engineering to accommodate his screaming and spittle. <laughs> Some sort of Large Hadron recorder that does the most advanced and pioneering reception of sound. So the reason we're talking about anger today is I'm talking about animals and their anger problems. What animals do when they get frustrated or angry or alarmed. And it's often really Mm. interesting and sometimes adorable. Uh, So first... We're going to talk about crows. Now, crows, uh, as you might know, are highly intelligent animals, along with other corvid species, such as ravens, magpies, new Caledonian crows. Um, We have actually talked about corvid intelligence on the show before. There's a Swedish study at Lund University that shows the ability of ravens to figure out puzzles and make plans. They found that when ravens were given a food reward, either using tokens or using a tool to solve a puzzle, the ravens were able to plan out what supplies they'd need to accomplish the task. They would even forego an immediate food reward in exchange for a tool that the ravens knew they would use later to get an even greater food reward. So they refused the immediate gratification of food in exchange for a tool or token that they know they can get an even better reward later. So it showed that these ravens were patient, smart, and can plan for the future. I really relate to saving up for a treat for yourself. That's great. We, we, we were saving up for a special vacuum cleaner for like a while, and then we got it. I won't say what brand. don't want to conflict with advertisers, but uh, we got it, and we were like, this is worth it. I'm glad we saved up. Uh, it's actually Katie's Lucky Suck vacuum uh, that is uh, being used by Alex. I don't know why you're not oh. telling the people about it. They're a sponsor? Oh, wow. Cool. That's great. <laughs> Our tagline for Lucky Suck Vacuums is gets all the Cheerios in places you didn't even know you put them. It's a long tagline. <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the saving up for bigger rewards later. That's really in- I mean, that feels so human. It's amazing that ravens do this. Uh, in fact, there's all sorts of amazingly intelligent crow behaviors like being trained to use vending machines, using crosswalks to crack oh. open nuts. They leave nuts out on the road and cars go over them. And they found that like a lot of them wouldn't use the crosswalk because that's the easiest place to get the nuts. Uh, And then crows like New Caledonian crows and other species will modify tools. They'll like modify wires or branches in order to use them as hooks or levers to get food out of sticky situations. That's, they sound better at using, in particular, vending machines than I am. Yeah. I'm proud of them. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have the <laughs> coin tied to a piece of floss that you put in the vending machine and then pull back out, uh, right. like in the cartoons. <laughs> I've only ever been the master of one vending machine, and it was a British vending machine at when I was studying abroad, which was very nice. But it was one slot in the machine. It would just give you the candy without charging you. Oh. I was the master of getting lion bars, specifically. <laughs> it's a British candy. And I love it because it was free. 
But uh, other other times I've been just at the mercy of how well those spools work and everything. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've definitely tried to memorize which of the aspects. Like sometimes there's some vending machines where, where it's got a bit of a loose spool around like the yeah. Swedish fish or whatever. And then you can usually get two instead of one. Uh, so yeah, we're that's just the dream. We're just essentially being ravens when we're doing that or crows. <laughs> I would receive my free British candy and then squawk and fly around the room very happily. It was not subtle. So I want to focus on when crows get angry. So we've talked about this on the show before, but I want to go over it again for those who don't know. There's the famous University of Washington study where they learned that crows will recognize human faces and hold a grudge against humans that they deem evil or a threat. So experimenters in this study wore extremely creepy masks with a neutral human face expression, which to me already, they already look like Michael Myers. They look like serial killers. Uh, I showed you a picture of one of these people. What's your, what's your, what's your, what's your feeling about that, Alex? It's, I'm pretty sure this picture is a conventionally attractive lady but she is wearing a neutral male to me mask. And then her hair is kind of all pushed behind it in a way where she looks like, uh, like that balding dude who plays a lot of annoying waiters in romantic comedies. <laughs> but like if that guy was mad and it's a really weird vibe, it's like, she sort of looks like evil Richard E. Grant. Hmm. And, uh, I don't like that experience for crows, but I'm sure it's experimentally useful. Right. And can you tell what she's holding there? Uh, is it like a dummy of a crow? What is that? Yeah, it's a taxidermied crow. Uh, so oh, okay, so a death so threat. It's, cool, it's, cool, cool, cool. it's a dead crow. Cool. Uh, the living crows did not like this at all. Surprisingly, uh, they saw took one look oh, at yeah. this and they're like, "No, nah, no, do not like that." They memorized that mask and they would harass and issue alarm calls anytime they saw someone wearing that mask. And the crows would remember these masks for long periods of time. So uh, I honestly, Team Crow on this one. Like if I saw a person like this, yeah. I would also squawk and swoop and harass them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of waiting for the difference between me and crows. Are we different at all? No. We're probably the same species. I think as far we're as the I can same. Tell. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> if That's you, cool. If you want to learn more about this study, including like what it was like to do it, I actually interviewed Corvid researcher Kaylee Swift back in October 2020 in an episode called Corvid Horrors. So check that out if you want to learn more about that study. Um, but today I want to talk about uh, crow frustration and more crow news. So uh, I do. <laughs> I want to show you what happens. Alex, when a crow gets frustrated by a puzzle, because we've, we've talked about how good crows are at puzzles. And this is a pet crow. Now, I don't recommend crows as pets typically, but um, occasionally they wind up as pets. And this one is doing one of those shape puzzles and where you put like the shape <laughs> in the hole that has the same shape as the shape. So the shape goes through the hole. Oh. And uh, this crow is doing this puzzle. And it's actually pretty good at it, but uh, it does get frustrated. I also, they deserve all the credit in the world for doing this without fingers. Like, great job. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So they are doing some fast cuts to speed up the process of this, but there are several lid tosses and box throws and just angrily moving it to a whole nother area. I'm glad I accidentally kind of looped in wrestling at the top of this. I don't know much (laughs) about wrestling, but this reminds me of everything I know about wrestling. Right. So the crow gets frustrated with this puzzle, it seems like. I mean, we're obviously sort of (laughs) just intuiting what this crow is feeling at the time, but uh, it just like it can't get the shape into the puzzle. So then it picks up the whole box, the whole puzzle and just throws it onto the ground, rips the puzzle apart, uh, picks up like the top lid to the puzzle and then like slams it back down, uh, which I I love. I mean, like, you know, everyone's had yeah. that. Everyone's had that experience. Like you're doing a thing. You're trying to fix a thing and you just like the thing isn't working. It's not being fixed. And so you want to throw it. You want to smash it on the ground. Uh, and it's just, it's, I feel so simpatico with this crow. Especially if you're being like required to do this kind of task, you know, like there's so many games and puzzles that we get to choose as adults and then just like move on from go to the kitchen, forget it. But these crows are, I assume being required to do this until they're done. I mean, required as in like probably given a treat. I, I don't know, like required as in they... (laughs) <laughs> signed a contract to do this puzzle. But treats make the world go round, man. Yeah. That's how it is. But you like, uh, but even dream with... treats rule everything around me. They are required. <laughs> right. I mean, like it, I feel like even with reward, right? Like if you have to do a complicated task for a reward, you still get really frustrated doing that task. Uh and there's yeah. <laughs> That's true. (laughs) But even with voluntary puzzles, like I get so frustrated. I mean, it's like computer games, right? It's really fun. But then sometimes like they make you scream in frustration because you you get a lot of pleasure out of doing it. This reward pathway that games are really good at kind of uh, giving you that dopamine release when you're playing them. But then you get to a frustrating part. Oh, God, especially Elden Ring. Jesus uh, and then, like, just like <laughs> so frustrated, but you want to keep doing it, but you're so angry. Uh, and to that, here's another crow who is. He, this one is getting frustrated trying to get into a a backpack, um, but this could just as easily be playing Call of Duty and screaming and throwing their microphone on the ground. Pretty nice backpack, but yep, flap, 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 pick, pick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this video goes on for like 10 minutes. Uh, it's this crow getting increasingly frustrated trying to open this backpack. At one point, it poops on the backpack. It's like viciously starts pecking at it, pulling at it, tugging, trying oh, to open wow. it. Yeah, see, speaking of saving up for items, I'm so particular about a backpack this nice. I, I can't imagine going in on it like this just out of uh, not wanting to buy a new backpack. But the crow is correct. This is a hard to open thing. Shout out to the YouTube user who simply titled this A Frustrated Crow. They're right. They delivered. They came through. (laughs) You don't want a video that doesn't come through. That is wild. (laughs) Exactly. So, and I mean, obviously this is a small sample size of a couple of videos that we have just observed, but I'm fairly confident from what I know about crows and their intelligence that these are frustrated crows. Yeah. That, like they, they are emotionally frustrated. They're, right. they're like we would be. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I see it. I feel it. Um, and so that wow. I do want to talk about 
this incident that happened in 2021 where crows menaced a college campus, a university campus, and uh, there was an email sent out to students. So in June of 2021, students at Acadia University in Nova Scotia received an email from the Department of Safety and Security warning students of aggressive crows due to the nesting season and instructed <laughs> students not <laughs> they instructed students not to carry anything shiny with them. They also recommended waving your hands at crows that swooped at you and to understand that crows have quote excellent memories, which is kind of foreboding. Uh, and even more forebodingly, they told students to try to make eye contact with the crows as much as possible. And that just, it feels like oh. a horror movie, uh, SCP Foundation kind of thing where it's like, do not break eye contact with the crows. You want to look at the crows as long as you can. <laughs> like, just that university, like, okay, here in the PR and messaging department, it's very easy. Tell people it's not a concern and also leave your shiny valuables at home and we need to intimidate them into submission. <laughs> but like, it's not a big deal. It's going to be fine. Do not turn your uh, back on these crows. Anyways, yeah. have a good day at class. <laughs> Just send them an explanation of what going to the mattresses means in The Godfather. <laughs> Otherwise, it's fine. It's totally chill. Um <laughs> So everything but the kind of last bit uh, in that email's warning was not exactly accurate. So um, in terms of being good advice, oh. they didn't they didn't give all the good advice. They only gave some good advice. So Dr. Kaylee Swift, who I mentioned earlier, who I had on the show before to talk about Corvids and Corvid horror, uh, she yeah. was actually interviewed in a Vice article by Jalissa Castro-Dale and uh, Dr. Swift revealed that uh, really the only reason that these crows would attack you is if you get too close to the nests with young nestlings or, or get too close to the nestlings. And they're really just trying to warn you away. Um, but the idea that you have to leave your shiny valuables at home is not really true. So crows and other corvids oh. aren't especially attracted to shiny objects uh, and will not attack you to try to basically mug you for your shiny things. That's not not necessarily true. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. And and I feel like that speaks to their intelligence because that shiny stuff does not have financial value to them. Right. That's I mean, only a human society thing. I mean, it's they learn the value of things like tokens and stuff, but if it's just shiny, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily attracted to it just because it's shiny. I think what's interesting is people might notice more when a crow has something shiny in its beak because we notice shiny things more. And so because we notice them more, we notice it when a crow or other bird has a shiny object. But it's probably just because crows are naturally curious and will pick up a lot of things that they find. Sometimes it's going to be a shiny thing. But we humans, when we look at a crow, like we're not going to notice if they just have like a stick or a berry in their mouth. But if they have like a shiny thing, we're like, wow, look, that crow's got a shiny thing. Crows must like shiny things because I like shiny things. Wow. I like <laughs> it. feels like the issue of understanding it is that they are smarter than us and have more perspective on life. Like you don't need to chase those baubles, you know? Right. Like if but, you want to. But we're like, they must love baubles like I do. Right. <laughs> I feel like if you want to propose marriage to a crow, they'd be just as happy with a peanut. Oh, phew. 
Which is why when I was proposed to, I got a peanut. (laughs) Because you're a bird. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Ball tracks. (laughs) So uh, also, um, Dr. Swift was saying that, yes, it's true that crows have really good memories. But like if you're just sort of walking by their nesting sites, um, they're not going to like form a forever vengeance against you. And pursue you relentlessly for the rest of your life. Um, but oh, good. Uh, if you do pester them or threaten them, yes, they will. And unfortunately, one way to kind of pester them would be like waving your hands at them, which is like the university told students, like, wave your arms at them to like keep them away. But that's actually bad advice because then the crows are going to remember that you're the weird student who's like waving your arms at them, making them feel threatened. And then they'll probably remember you. <laughs> that's that's such a big command from a university like they're they're already trying to get you to do a bunch of bursar paperwork and class registration kind of kind of business like like also challenge an entire species above our heads <laughs> is a lot that's a lot man like i'm i have school spirit but come on follow oh, up e- follow up email from the administration like uh please disregard previous email new Email, uh, please build a giant effigy of a crow out of sticks and put peanuts uh, on uh, in offering bowls uh, to make up for our mistakes from last time. We are very sorry. I'll hail our crow overlords. <laughs> it is, yeah, and, all, and honestly, if crows are so smart, maybe not the worst overlords, right? <laughs> maybe they'll think through some stuff I haven't sure. figured out. Right. Sounds good. Yeah, and it, we'll have like a peanut-based economy. So yeah, I've I've been here delicately trying to put shapes through a puzzle. They bust it open. They disrupt it, right? <laughs> they are disruptors. Um, <laughs> Doctor Swift did say that crows do pay attention to eye gaze, and that direct eye contact will make them nervous and less likely to swoop. So that part of the email was actually correct. Uh, By making eye contact with them, you may prevent a swooping attack because they can see that you're looking at them and they typically only will attack you when you're turned away because they like the sneak attack. Man, they're just, can a species be too smart? (laughs) smart. How do we wind that down? Sneak attacks are so clever. Uh, uh, the good news about this devastatingly smart species of flying uh, animals is that they not only have a good memory for holding grudges, but they will also memorize you if you feed them, uh, for better or for worse. They may continue to approach you for food and possibly get fussy if you don't have anything for them. So uh, choose wisely whether you want to befriend crows. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just I would say in general, like, Somewhat limit your contact with wild animals, but, you know, like Mm -hmm. casual feeding is probably okay with healthy items like a peanut here and there. I'm now I'm curious if this could escalate where like I become friends with the crows and then suddenly I'm the neighborhood crow man. Like they start (laughs) perching on my arms when I'm walking around town and people are like, there goes that crow guy again. And I'm like, I have a name. And they're like, you're right. Your name is Crow Man. That's all we think of you as. Uh, I'd You're kinda, really distinctive. I'd kind of like that uh, reputation. Although in college, I did kind of have a reputation because whenever I was talking to someone, if there was a squirrel nearby, I would get very distracted and like go look at the squirrel and go like, oh, look, there's a squirrel. And they're like, yes, 
we know there's lots of squirrels. I was like, yeah, but look at that one. <laughs> look at them. So I, this is a, are there beliefs about the squirrels at Harvard being like distinctive? Because the college my brother went to, they believe that about their squirrels. And another friend of mine, they went to a whole different college where it was like, we have special black squirrels here. It's a thing. And I don't know if it's actually distinctive or not. No, I don't remember them being distinctive. They were distinctively fat. Um, like oh, they okay, love yeah, they they got lots of treats and goodies. Uh, cool. Probably yeah. too much, but there was all there was one. There was an albino squirrel that was pretty famous, and there was a squirrel oh, sure. that we called Nubbins because it was missing <laughs> a lot of its tail, so it only had a little stumpy tail. Uh, so you know there were individual squirrels nice. that okay. we knew and we loved, but um, no, they were pretty normal normal squirrels. I think they were all just yeah. Eastern gray squirrels. You were right to be looking for the celebrity ones, though. <laughs> I've never seen an albino squirrel. That's amazing. That's really cool. But the squirrels up in Stanford are actually quite special because they are melanistic. They have darker coats than typical. And for some reason, there's a higher concentration of these squirrels near Stanford. Okay. There's a similar belief about Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana. Interesting. Uh, Do they have they have uh, melanistic squirrels, sort of uh, darker furred squirrels? I just know they're darker and they like it. That, that's probably yeah. the, the explanation. It yeah. could, they could have like a higher population of melanistic squirrels there too. It's really interesting. It's, it's all these youths feeding them <laughs> specially. We need to control the crows and control the youths. Those are my very positive and not at all regressive <laughs> opinions about society. Well, speaking of youths, we're actually going to talk about that when we get back and some wonderful tantrums that young animals will do. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. (laughs) And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So we're back. I was actually, when I was researching this episode, I was curious about tantrums because, you know, like the fussiest of people are two-year-olds. Although I would say that there are, I guess, adults who have never grown past that. Um, But man the the tantrums the the drama it's unrivaled uh and so i was wondering if uh, the babies of other animals also liked to throw tantrums and indeed that seems to be the case and it's very funny <laughs> it would it would be kind of crushing if you were like humans are the only ones everybody else's babies have it together <laughs> they don't complain a bit so quit whining babies babies <laughs> Babies in the animal kingdom know that they're they're potentially going to get eaten if they throw a fuss. So uh, yeah. they 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 keep it they keep it prim and proper. No, uh, no, animals <laughs> in the animal kingdom do indeed throw tantrums. So that's uh, awesome. 
Animal behaviorist Jennifer L. Vertolin uh, wrote about these fussy babies and other family dynamics in nature in her book, Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics. Uh, So a couple of examples that she highlighted. Um, Apparently, young prairie dogs, uh, when they are weaned, will throw tantrums. They will stomp on the ground, (laughs) roll around, hop and scream and cry to get their mother's attention, cling on to her. And the mother's response is usually just to walk away. (laughs) (laughs) That's tremendous. And they, that's an animal, prairie dogs, they're like burrowing and stuff, right? Yeah. I'm imagining a lot of angrily going into or out of burrows to separate <laughs> yourself. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. She'll just kind of walk away, go into a burrow. Uh, like when she's, because she'll sort of determine that she's done nursing them. And interestingly, they don't physically reprimand their young. So they don't like attack their young for throwing tantrums. They just kind of ignore the tantrum. Just let it, let it happen. Oh, yeah, because you can pop into a tube like Mario or something. You you don't have to deal with it. You're out of there. Forget it. Apparently, tantrums when a young animal is being weaned is relatively common. Uh, Another species that this happens in is Barbary macaques. So Barbary macaque babies uh, will throw a tantrum when they are being weaned. Uh, Barbary macaques are old world monkeys with long tails and fluffy golden coats. They are very cute. And they live Mm. in the Atlas Mountains in North Africa, as well as a small population of a few hundred in Gibraltar. Um, So they have to endure cold winters, so they grow an especially fluffy winter coat uh, that they shed in the summer. So the baby macaques will throw a tantrum and cry, roll around on the ground uh, when they are being weaned. And uh, also with these animals, with the Barbary macaques, the parents will just kind of calmly ignore uh, these tantrums. And so that is that's very interesting to me, like the that animal parents tend to just like, oh, you're having a tantrum. All right. Just whatever. I'll I'm I'll let you leave you to that then. (laughs) Maybe maybe the parents just remind them that they live near the lovely Mediterranean Sea. Right? You know about this, Katie. The lovely Mediterranean Sea. You can just go look at it and chill out. That's great. Don't, <laughs> no need for tantrums it is, on this beautiful body of water. It is very calming. Um, I, I live in northern Italy, so we get no Mediterranean Sea, so I am ah. constantly stressed. Uh, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought it was yeah. interesting that uh, this author, Jennifer Vertolin, uh, brought up both these Barbary macaques and these prairie dogs because both um have these interesting social lives. I wouldn't say that their societies are exactly the same, but they both are highly social animals and live together in these large groups. So prairie dogs live in communal burrows known as colonies or towns, which is adorable. Uh, each prairie dog town consists of several family groups, and each family group has one to two breeding males, typically one, but sometimes two, Uh, and two to three breeding females. Um, And then they also have a few of their offspring uh, living with them. So within related family, prairie dogs will kiss each other as a greeting, like make mouth contact and groom each other, which is adorable. I'm really glad. This is great. 
less adorable is that uh, sometimes oh, no. they will kill their offspring. <laughs> <laughs> so if a male wants to take over a family group, he will kill the offspring of the previous male. Uh, this this happens in a lot of situations, like in lion prides. Like like if a new male comes in and tries to take over, he will kill the other offspring, which. Mm, not great, but you know it's the it's nature, uh, and also females yeah. will kill the offspring of other females to decrease competition when resources are scarce. Uh, so you know sometimes not so cute, but what is cute is they have a complex alarm system they use to protect all members of a prairie dog colony. They have like different alarms for different types of predators and where they're coming from. So it's like uh, this really complex kind of alarm system, and they. Issue that alarm so all the prairie dogs know to go down in the tunnels. Um, right. Like the alarm is like, crows, crows. And then they all <laughs> go get their spooky masks and put those on. Like, we're ready. Perfect, yes. A very uh, stern prairie dog face. Still cute. Too bad. Still cute. Doesn't work. Still cute. Man, can you imagine like a little prairie dog horror movie? Uh, Michael Myers' prairie dog. It's so cute. Just standing out in the yard holding a knife. But it's a little, it's a little prairie dog. A little cuteness. I, I would like keep petting him as he stabbed me. Yeah, oh, look like, at you, look at your nice. little nosy nice. and your little yeah. knifey stabbing me in the spleen. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so interestingly, with prairie dogs, females tend to be the core of prairie dog colonies. So males uh, will disperse; they will leave the colony to join other colonies and try to find a mate. Whereas the females tend to stay in one colony, typically their whole lives, and just like as the sort of older dominant female like age out they will sort of take the place uh, and become a, a a dominant breeding female it's also interesting yeah. I, I i came into this knowing very little about prairie dogs even though i have a big interest in animals like bison in, in that same yeah. ecosystem i, yeah. I just kind of knew they're cute and uh and that there's one minor league baseball team mascot <laughs> called the sod poodles and it's prairie dogs but they're called the sod poodles sod- that's all i knew about them sod poodles yeah, it's just like a cutesy name. It's not scientific, but uh, it's I've I think Amarillo, Texas, the minor league baseball team. I love uh, the that. The mascot is the Sod Poodles. Yeah. I love that. I'm gonna start calling them Sod Poodles. That's amazing. It sounds a little insulting, but it's also amazing. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think in the I think in the mascot drawing they have little cowboy hats. Oh, I, course, I won't promise course. that. I gotta double check. But yeah, <laughs> I mean all prairie dogs have cowboy hats. That's just a that's just fact. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And they wave them at the predators. Right. They wave them away. Yeah. <laughs> now go on, get, get out of here. Um, <laughs> so on to the social lives of Barbary macaques. So they too live in large groups of multiple families. Um, they are matriarchal with a hierarchy of related females and the lead matriarch. Oh. So these macaques actually have a much less brutal society than the prairie dogs. So the males in society are very gentle with offspring. And unlike many other primate species, they actually spend much of their time helping to rear the offspring. So these males will play with them and groom them. They will even care for offspring that are not their own possibly due to vague unknown paternity, given that females will mate with multiple males in the group, which is really interesting because there's this Hmm. unconfirmed theory, just basically an idea that in early humans or human ancestors, unknown or vague paternity selected for more cooperation and less aggression 
just as we see in these macaques, so more sort of communal living. And so, yeah, I just I find that very interesting that it's like, well, I don't know whose kid this is, so I might as well not kill it. I might as well take care of it. Wow. Yeah, that's such an interesting way to motivate it versus like, this is definitely my kid. So I have to protect this one and just this one. Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting. And I mean, there's still, you do definitely still see some like sexual selection, like competitive pressures, like males really do try to mate with as many females as possible. And the same thing for the females. So they are trying to um, like increase their reproductive success. It wouldn't really be stable evolutionarily otherwise, but it's this really interesting stable system of like, it's not so much like group selection, but because they don't know which one's their offspring, the more they take care of them and the more others take care of, you know, basically all this alloparenting, all communal parenting, like the more likely their offspring are going to survive as well. Wow. Yeah, it's such a different mindset about like scarcity, I guess. Yeah. You know, Ver- versus, oh, there's only so much prairie food. I need to eat everybody. It's <laughs> totally different. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Yeah, back to back to the uh, anger part though. We're we're too happy. We're in too uh, like wonderful oh, society right. here. Um, <laughs> crow mentality. Crow mentality. Crow. Okay, got it. I'm in. Great. Uh, yeah, I mean, there might be some usefulness to like I talked about how the prairie dog and the macaques don't really punish their offspring when they're like throwing a fit about weaning, and they're generally pretty permissive. Um, there may be some benefit for them being pretty gentle at that period of time of transition, not really spurning the offspring if they're upset about weaning because weaning too early has been shown to cause aggression later in life in some animal species. So there's been research on goats, dogs, cats, and other domesticated animals that have found that too early weaning and separation from their mothers increases the risk of aggressive behaviors in these animals. So... It's really, really interesting to me that in this like lower stress, lower aggression community of Barbary macaques, they are raised communally by both males and females. They're given plenty of attention. uh, And when they throw tantrums, they aren't physically reprimanded. They're just gently allowed to kind of work through their tantrum. And then that seems to kind of uh, potentially have an impact on these macaques development. Now, there haven't been any specific studies on macaques that I know of in terms of too early separation but the fact this is seen in multiple species seems to indicate that like separating um uh, young uh animals from their parents or from their mother too early can cause these developmental social problems because you know it makes sense they're not they're not learning these social cues from their mothers they're not getting these sort of secure attachment uh to be able to explore their world from their mothers that's amazing yeah and that's so yeah, I feel like when I think about animals, I try not to put too many human things on them, but that sounds very human. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is uh, it is important. Like, sure, we don't want to, like, just put our human emotions on animals, but we also don't want to deprive them of that emotional range that they probably feel. Yeah. And I hadn't heard of this uh, species before, the Barbary macaques. I'm yeah. excited to see them and stuff. They're yeah. very cute. Wait, yeah. just, oh, I didn't give you a picture. Google it. Do it. Oh, I, I, as I said that, I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's happening right now. Oh, yeah. That's a fun, that's a fun face, man. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's they've good. got like sort of pinkish little faces, golden fur. Um, They're very cute. I'm looking at one that almost appears to have cat ears. I know they're not cat ears, but it's like pointing and a good uh, vibe. Ah, yeah. This is great. Yeah. This is a good vibe. 
No, they've got like the adults have very serious little faces, uh, and then the babies <laughs> are just oh man, so cute, so so cute. I can see why their parents let them just throw tantrums. I'd let this baby throw a tantrum. Yeah. Oh, who can stop them? <laughs> you know. Just go for a little guy. Cry it out. <laughs> <laughs> I already promised to let a prairie dog stab me like an old <laughs> So of course I'm gonna let a macaque have a tantrum. Go nuts. It's like ten years down the line, a prairie dog shows up at your door. It's like I've come to collect on a promise. <laughs> 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 and in the run-up, I hear a really cool score, like a John Carpenter score. That's a great way to go. That's good. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So we've talked about animals who will hold grudges and get frustrated at puzzles. We've talked about baby animals that throw tantrums. Uh, and I want to talk about, before we go... Animals who get angry when they sense someone is not being fair, which, again, I feel like is so human. Fine, we can talk about me. Fine, <laughs> fine. Let's lay my crabs out. Uh, but, yeah, I feel like this idea of, like, fairness, uh, of being mad at someone for being unfair to you, it yeah. feels so human. But we do actually see this in animals. So, of course... Looking at our more closely related relatives, the chimpanzees, we can see this in quite a spectacular way. So researchers at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology set up a devious situation for chimps to navigate. This is These studies are so devious. I mean, they're not... <laughs> I don't think that these ones are particularly cruel. They're just devious. You'll see what I mean. So... Uh, the these chimps were uh, situated in little cubicles uh, with a sliding table that had food on it. And so they could like, uh, there was like sort of a divider, like a plexiglass or something divider. And so they could pull the table under the plexiglass towards them and pick up food and eat it. Or the table would like already be there in place uh, when they entered the, the, when they entered the cubicle so they could like sit down and eat stuff from the table. But then there was another cubicle facing them that also could like pull on this table and pull the food towards them. So this other chimp could pull the food away from the previous chimp to get the food themselves. Uh, and now here's the other element is the chimps had ropes that they could pull on that would collapse the table and cause all the food to like scatter onto the ground. And the ground was kind of recessed. So like the, the food would basically be out of reach. Uh, so... <laughs> like 
I'm Chimpanzee Johnny Knoxville, and this is The Trick Table. And I just do the whole jackass segment. Yeah. <laughs> so they found that when the chimp, like, had the food in its own cubicle, it didn't pull the rope, obviously. It's not going to sabotage itself. Um, and if the food was just kind of in the other cubicle, the chimp did not pull the rope. But when... So the first chimp comes in, it sees the food, great, it's going to get that food. But then the second chimp comes in and grabs the food away from the first chimp by pulling the table away. The first chimp pulled on the rope to cause all the food to fall down to punish the second chimp for stealing the food from the first chimp. This is such, it, it feels like such a King Solomon making decisions, parable <laughs> of justice with like a lot of moving parts that are surprising and, and memorable. It's great. I feel like in that situation where like King Solomon is dealing with chimps and it's like, well, do you, should I cut this baby in half? And they're like, I get the butt one. I get the butt part. Dibs on the butt. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because the, the the chimps would not collapse the table out of jealousy. So, like, if they were blocked from getting to the food, whereas one chimp could get to the food but the other one couldn't, like, they wouldn't collapse the table. They weren't like, oh, you get food and I don't? That's not fair. And then collapse the table. It was only when they perceived the other chimp as having stolen the food from them that they would collapse the table. So, like, they were frustrated with that other chimp and they were punishing that chimp um basically say like well if i can't have this food and you steal it from me like then you're not getting that food <laughs> man it's it's a lot of politics I yeah guess. that's the first thing i'm thinking of like we're we're arranging the fiscal year budget in chimpanzee congress for where this I stuff's know. gonna go <laughs> or like judge judy but then it's like these chimps with like the food and then like like sure just trying to work out this problem. It's like, I see, you know, don't don't piss on my leg and tell me that, you know, it's raining, but then the chimps are actually peeing on her leg and, you know, it's chaos. <laughs> right. Don't piss on my leg like you usually do in certain situations because that's how we socialize. <laughs> you know, there's nothing weird about it. But right now, no. Not now, it's a different thing. <laughs> so there's actually been lots of research on punishing cheaters uh, in Animals. So cheaters as in an animal that will take advantage of a situation and usually hurt the other animals in the group by taking advantage of the situation. So uh, this can also be, you know how earlier we were talking about alloparenting with uh, these Barbary macaques and um, these prairie dogs, you know, like like take, rearing young together yeah. in these groups and the, um, the uh, macaques all sort of communally raising. I mean, in some situations, there will be this communal raising, but sometimes it is enforced with rules. So in meerkats, moorhens, and carrion crows, they all share this feature where young females will engage in alloparenting, which means, you know, helping to raise the offspring of the older, more dominant females. Oh. And researchers wow. have found that increased time helping to raise the offspring is associated with better fitness for the babysitter and a higher rate of weight gain. And the hi the hypothesis oh. is that this is due to either more feeding opportunities granted to them by the dominant females or that they the ones that are not 
being a good babysitter, not spending as much time taking care of the offspring, are being punished by the dominant females with more bullying, more like food deprivation. So it's kind of interesting because you have something where it's like, oh, it's communal parenting. That seems really good and peaceful. But maybe there's a... There might be a carrot, but there might also be a stick involved with these situations of punishing the uh, subordinate females who are not being good babysitters. Man. Yeah, all all this stuff, I'm always amazed and just mystified trying to imagine like how these systems get put in place too, right? Like, of course, human society, there's also like a long, long thousands of years process of developing it. But like how, how animals work out these arrangements based on just biology or more, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for some animals, it's like, you know, they are born with certain instincts, especially with simple animals or animals that don't spend as much like social time sort of learning from parents. It's like, okay, they probably are born with a certain instinct. But with animals that are really social, uh, especially these intelligent animals like, uh, you know, uh, corvids or apes, uh, even with prairie dogs, mm. there's some element of uh, learning from the older generation. So separating out like what is that animal's instinct? What are they born with kind of having that instinct for or what do they acquire through social learning? That can be tricky sometimes. I mean, as it is tricky with humans as well. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. Yeah. And good for... I am. I'm the most amazed by the species that to us appear to do. It's probably not scientifically accurate to call it like no parenting, but the ones where just an egg hatches and the parent's gone and never sees yeah. them again. Well, like, I mean, it's like, no, it how'd is, you learn anything? Yeah, cool. no, exactly. I mean, like with uh, <laughs> sea turtles, they lay their eggs, they they leave them. They're like, all right, good luck, kiddos. Bye. And then they hatch yeah. and they are instinctively attracted to uh, light shining on the water and they go towards the water. It's like you're just born little like robot computers just going towards the ocean. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an operating system. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, we just no, downloaded yeah. it. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of cheaters, sometimes cheaters uh, get very creative to avoid wrath in nature. So this is found in young white winged chuffs. An Australian bird with a name that is sort of a misnomer because they're not related to alpine chuffs. Still, these are blackbirds with red eyes and they are social where juveniles are expected to help feed the offspring of their parents. So feed their younger siblings. And if they return to the nest with no food, they are often chastised by their parents, kind of swooped at, pecked at, um, punished. But if they return to the nest with food... Uh, they are not punished. So some of these birds will return to the nest with food, put the food in their younger siblings' mouths, and then pluck it right back out of their mouths and eat it. And they do not get punished. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they just respect game, I guess. Hey. I mean, the, the thought for why this is sort of stable in terms of evolution is that these are related uh, birds. So these are the older siblings and the younger siblings And that when the older siblings do this, like steal the food from the younger siblings, they are um, needing that nourishment. They need that food. And so the the cheating uh, is actually okay in this instance, because uh, in terms of the passing on the genetic uh, material, because uh, by doing this occasional cheating, they're not necessarily um, going to prevent the younger offspring from flourishing 
Um, but they are also ensuring that they are getting enough nourishment. So it's like, it's an off, it's sort of a, you know, it's like a trade-off for the older sibling getting more uh, nourishment versus the younger sibling. We're just lucky that uh-huh. with, I'm lucky, I guess, that humans aren't like that because I have an older brother and like, it'd be so funny if like in order to survive, he had to like pull peanut butter and jelly sandwiches out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> there are a few rules, but of course these birds are Australian, and the the joke about Australia is that everything's wild and woolly and outlaw there, so it's probably where it's coming from. Australians, let us know what your version of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are, and if uh, older and younger siblings have to fight for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let us know your version of peanut butter and jelly, and then why is it Vegemite? Just Vegemite. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Vegemite sandwiches, and I had a fight me older brother for it. That's not Australian, though. No, I didn't do good there. That wasn't a good accent. <laughs> and this, and this bird name was it a, a chuff? You said a chuck? A chuff, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's a fun name. Even that even feels Australian. To me. It's spelled it's cool. yeah. They, I mean, there's alpine chuffs as well. Um, it's spelled the same. They're not. They look. Like they're related, but they're not. It's also, it's spelled like C-H-O-U-G-H. So to me, I try oh. to, I, I want to pronounce it. Yeah, or like chowg, which chows. is probably not it. Chows. Yeah. yeah, no. It's not chows, <laughs> but it's chuffs. Chuffs. Because there's, I, I know a few British people too, and they like to say they are chuffed, like C-H-U-F-F-E-D, which Quite means they're happy, chuffed. you know? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I keep thinking of that. Yeah, it's, a wa- whole, it's a whole commonwealth of people speaking English, and, oh. it, and we don't understand each other. <laughs> I watch a lot of a lot of British bake-off, and they do say I'm quite chuffed a lot, and I, I would love for that to happen where they're just covered in chows. Yeah. <laughs> but the birds are too smart. They know four in 20 of them, they'll get made into a pie, right? <laughs> Stay out of there. It's a good move. So before we go... We have to play a little game, and that game is called Guess Who Squawk and the Mystery Animal Sound Game. Yes. Uh, every week I play a mystery animal sound, and you, the listener, and you, the guest, try to guess who is squawking. So, uh, last time This game I... is so good. Do people, <laughs> do people bring this up? It's so good. Aw, thank Sorry. you. Thank you. <laughs> so, last week's hint was whoever named this animal was being a bit judgmental, and then Actually, so that was, I gave another hint, which was, uh, this is often used in movies to create a spooky, haunted atmosphere, even when it's inaccurate to do so. And this is the sound. That's not the sound, sorry, that's my loading YouTube sound. It is, yeah, it's spooky, and it sounds like a, a whining sort of. Maybe I'm thinking of animal tantrums, like babies. <laughs> uh, I'm proud for that. Uh, but and a big echo. I'm very impressed with anybody who can really. You you want to be like that mountain person who like calls out to the whole valley. Yeah, like it's the sound of music or something. Yeah, no, um, it, it hmm. does sound sort of like a bit of a wee wee wee. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to say it's some kind of mountain animal maybe lives in trees. Interesting. Uh, but I almost want to go mammal. I don't know. Interesting. Well, congratulations to Tiffany N. and Joey P. who correctly guessed that this is the call of a loon. So loons are a group of aquatic bird species found in North America and northern Eurasia. They are sort of duck-like birds with a more pointed bill, often with a white belly and throat, black back, and black or gray head. Typically, they have red eyes, and often they have striking white lines and markings on their neck, chest, and back. Uh, The loon you just heard is the red-throated loon, which is found in Arctic regions or coastal regions in the northern hemisphere. When it's breeding season, they develop a bright, rusty red patch of feathers on their throat to attract mates. They form monogamous long-term pair bonds, and that eerie cry they make is just a way for pairs to communicate with each other or for parents to call their offspring. So it's not spooky, it's very sweet. But that does not stop people in the movie industry from using this sound to try to evince a spooky atmosphere, sometimes like the untamed wilds. And it's really funny because they will use it in environments where this loon would never be found, like in the jungle or something. That's not really where they are. Um, or like <laughs> just like some it's just like this is wilderness. This is spooky haunted wilderness and that's what the sound is meant to evoke i like that that means that jungle or whatever contains one lost canadian right (laughs) that's great it's a bird but a canadian bird like (laughs) he's just like with one of those suitcases with all the stickers on of the various places they've been wearing a toque and very politely asking for directions yeah (laughs) shout out canada what a good bird (laughs) It is, and it's like it's spooky, but it's pretty. It sort of reminds me of like whale song or something. Yeah, like that. That has an ominous feel, sort of, but it's also nice. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I think. All right, now on to this week's Mr. Animal Sound. The hint: this baby sure likes to make a point. Hmm. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really thinking about that baby likes to make a point hint because it's. <laughs> I, I immediately just imagine cute uh, chicks like chicken babies uh, <laughs> but they're not pointy mm. uh, left field guess scorpions interesting guess very interesting well <laughs> you'll find out if you're right or wrong on next week's episode of the podcast actually I guess the fact that I didn't bleep you out means you are wrong uh, so that's an extra hit oh. <laughs> it's not a scorpion <laughs> 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 Spoiler alert. Alex is wrong. Like, He's wrong. Like a, week from, a week from now, I was going to be listening to this like in my scorpion jacket from the <laughs> movie Drive with a little scorpion flag. Like I'm so ready to be right. You've got so one ready. of those foam fingers, but it's a foam stinger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I will reveal the answer to this week's mystery. Uh, animal sound next time on Creature Feature. Alex, thank you so much for joining me today and unleashing your just boundless rage. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, People in my neighborhood are going to be like, the crow man's really calm. I guess he worked it out (laughs) this morning. (laughs) Instead of your angry stomping around. Uh, Yeah. 
and thank you guys so much for listening and check out Secretly Incredibly Fascinating because ooh, Alex ooh, is ooh. on it and also me too. And I'm I'm truly overjoyed about it. I, I feel like I'm underselling it, but just because people know how awesome you are to oh. listen to this. So, but it's it's the best thing in the world. It's it's if you listen to the podcast before, it's the, continuing to be the same podcast, but with this wonderful co-host. It's, it's like two Lewis Blacks screaming into a void about interesting things. <laughs> they just yeah, it just starts to create some sort of physics reaction where it destroys <laughs> it. Like it's a black hole of some type. <laughs> Obviously, I know a lot about black holes. That's why that was such a fluent joke. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we're screaming on a level that is vibrating the quarks of every atom uh, or something. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I knew that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Hey there. I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.